Tonight, we are going to go through the entire book of, of Habakkuk, or Habakkuk. I don't know how to pronounce it, honestly. Uh, and so I'm going to rotate between those two. So just roll with me. Um, <clears throat> Uh, Habakkuk is a, is a minor prophet, minor prophet meaning, meaning he just didn't write very much. Uh, you have major prophets, Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, right? And then you have the weird names. They're really called minor prophets because no one can pronounce their names, like Zephaniah. Um, so all those prophets that no one ever preaches on, because their names are weird and it's weird stories that are going on there. We're going to do Habakkuk tonight. Uh, it's just three chapters long. So powerful, so powerful. Uh, one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, so I'm really going to run through chapter one. I'm going to summarize chapter two and then I'm going to run through chapter three. So yeah, let's jump in then. Um, it'll be good if you have the Bible. There's a Bible in front of you. It'll be good if you have it since we're going to cover so much ground. We're going to cover so much text. It'll be good if you've got the Bible in front of you. So let's just start this off now. No need for introduction. Let's just go. <clears throat> okay, small introduction. <laughs> so, chapter one is a dialogue between Habakkuk, Habakkuk and God. Uh, so you're going to see this dialogue bounce back and forth. So let's see. Let's go. <clears throat> the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. All he's saying is literally, God, where the heck are you? Everything around me is perverted and not right. And he's talking specifically about his people, the Israelites. He's not talking about humanity in general. He's talking about specifically his people, the Jewish nation, who have the Mosaic law and who worship God, who worship Yahweh. So he's looking around at Israel and saying, what is going on here? How is it that I see so much injustice? How is it that I see mothers take their babies and sacrifice them to idols? How is it that I see the rich make the poor work for them and then don't pay them and the poor can't do anything about it because the, there's no real lawyers working on behalf of the poor back then. So how is it that I see rich people getting richer and richer and richer off the backs of the poor and there's nothing that the poor can do about it and yet these people call themselves the people of God. How, he looks around and he just says, where are you? This isn't right and why don't you move and why don't you do something about it? Why won't you do something about this? How long will I cry and you won't do anything? Right? And then God answers. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. 
For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces are forward. They gather captives like sand and kings At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Okay, this is what he's saying. Habakkuk is like, God, where are you? There is injustice in the land of Israel, no one follows your law and your commandments anymore and therefore violence reigns. Do something about it. So God answers back to Habakkuk and he says, I am about to do something about it. I'm gonna do something so terrible that not, even if you were told you wouldn't believe it, I'm going to raise up this nation called the Chaldeans. So the Chaldeans are also called the Babylonians. What we know about the Babylonians is they are one of the first great superpowers that sweeps across the Middle East and just takes over and takes over and takes over and takes over. The Assyrians did it first and then the Babylonians came behind them and were crazier than them. They were ridiculous in the amount, they were the first great empire of the world. So what God says is, I'm raising up these people who don't worship me, who don't follow my laws, and I'm going to use them to strike you down, right? Isn't that, isn't that crazy? So he says, I'm going to do something. You see injustice and you want it punished. It's about to, it's about to roll through here in a way that you've never seen before, in a way that if someone told you, you wouldn't believe it, right? So what's gonna be Habakkuk's response to that? He says back to God, are are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, talking about himself in in the Israelite nation. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment? And you, O rock, have established them for reproof? You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Okay, do you see what he's saying? He's saying, I want you to do something. And God's like, yeah, it's about to go down. It's about to go down. And then he looks back and he's like, I don't really care for the way that you're going to do that. He's like, what? So at first the Israelite was the wicked nation. And then he says, I'm going to punish the wicked nation. I'm going to raise up this crazy nation whose whose horses are like leopards. And they're going to roll through and decimate this place. And then Habakkuk looks back at him and he's like, well, why would you send a wicked nation to punish us, your people? 
right? Do you see how he just sort of flips it a little bit? He wanted some justice served, and God's like, justice is coming. It's about to roll through. And he's like, ah, why would you send wicked people to destroy your people? Why would you do it that way? Why? That's, I don't like the way that you're going about doing that. I, am not, I was expecting you to do something a little different. I was expecting you maybe to punish the rich and leave the poor. I was expecting you to fix everything but leave everything intact. You know what I mean? I wanted you to fix this, but I didn't expect you to fix it this way. I don't like the way you're going about doing that. Why would you go about doing that? So he raises this complaint against God, and then God says, it, this is going to happen. And then he raises this further complaint of, I don't like the way... You're going to do that. That is not my expectation on how you deliver justice. Right? And so the reason this is, the reason this is so powerful, the reason I think this is so beautiful is that this is, I think, us. I think this is us so easily. We do cry out to God. We do want him to fix things. We look around and we look at the earth and we look at life, we look at our life, and it's not always playing out the way we want it to play out. Things don't always go the way that we think they ought to go, and so we cry out to God, and God moves, and oftentimes God does not move again in the way that we expected him to move. And this is a huge deal, right? I don't want to minimize what's going on here. When the Chaldeans roll through, they are coming to sack Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the only place on the planet at this time where the presence of God dwells. Jerusalem is the only city at this time in the world where people can actually meet with God and the manifest presence of God exists in the temple. This is the only place in the world where someone can come who feels sinful and atone for their sin and have a relationship with God again. So this is the only place on the planet where God has said, this is my people. I'm going to dwell with you in my temple. You can bring sacrifices to me to atone for wickedness and we will be one because I love you, my people. So the Jews really hid behind this thing that Jerusalem, nothing will ever happen to Jerusalem ever, ever. They really believed that there was no way that the God that led them out of Egypt, that protected them, that gave them the land, and then over the course of like 1,200 years has provided for them and, and walked them through life. There's no way in their mind that that God is going to allow the temple that was built by, by uh, David's son Solomon, there's no way that this beautiful temple where God dwells, that some crazy, ungodly nation is going to roll in and, and destroy it. There's no way. There's no way. So they're settled on this. And then God tells Habakkuk, that's not the case. That's why he says, I'm about to do something and no one would believe it if I told you anyway. There's no way that, that you're going to let them destroy Jerusalem. No way. And so Habakkuk receives it and he's like, I I don't like the way you're dealing with that. And I think that's a lot like us because I think we do cry out and we look around and we see God move and we see things happen in our lives that are beyond our expectation. That things typically don't line up with our expectations of how they should line up. And we do see God move and sometimes, a lot of times, it is not what we want it to be. Uh, so this weekend, I got to go to a, a 
Got to go back to Houston, kid that I grew up with in youth group. Um, just gotten out of rehab uh, for heroin and was killed in a car wreck on the way home. Right? Just craziness. Out of nowhere, I get done preaching, I walk down, my parents were here, and then they tell me, and I'm like, oh my God. And his parents raised him in the church, good kid growing up till he reached a certain age, and then they wrestled with his addiction for 10 years, thinking, God, where are you? This isn't going the way we expected. And so I got there to the funeral, and I see pictures of him as a baby, and I'm like, I bet when they were holding him as a baby, they had no idea what sort of pain they were in store for. I bet they had no idea that if they followed God faithfully, that their son might develop a heroin addiction and then die early in a car wreck. So they're looking at life and being like, what's going on with life? This is not the way it was supposed to go down. These were not the expectations I had when I held this little baby in my arms that this was going to play out, that this sort of pain was going to play out in my future, right? So that's an extreme case, but I think in all of our lives, we've seen something that we've built up, some expectation that we have just get shattered before our eyes. Maybe it was a relationship that you had with somebody for a really long time, and you really started building a future around that person in the relationship. And so in the future, you could already already imagine what y'all's life was going to be like, and then out of nowhere, this relationship just collapses, and your expectation of your future just crumbles, and pain ensues, and your heart gets ripped out, and it's like, uh, where were you, God, when that happened, right? And I know enough of you to know, like I know enough of you to know, like I've wrestled with some, I've wrestled through this with you guys already, that relationships fall apart, that you don't make the grades you need to make, and you don't get into nursing school, that you fail a test that really does govern the rest of your future. And it just looks and feels like, like, what are you doing, God? What are you doing? You're not here. I don't understand this. You're blowing my expectations. And it's not that I just really love my expectations, but I cannot see why you would be doing this. And so here's Habakkuk. Everything he knows is about to be struck down from a God that he loves and trusts. How do you reconcile that? How do you reconcile that? So I think we need to deal with our expectations so much like Habakkuk does. And so like I said, I'm gonna summarize chapter two. All he says is after Habakkuk asks that question, he says, why would you do it that way? Why would you send an ungodly nation to punish your children? Why would you do that? How can you do that? And all of chapter two is an indictment against the Babylons. Basically, God then responds, oh, don't worry. I'm going to wipe them off the face of the planet for what they're going to do to you. Isn't that? So in here we read a lot of the New Testament. In here we read and study a lot of the grace, mercy, forgiveness of God, which is entirely present And we don't always look at these prophetic books that really fill out the picture of God and I think we need to grapple with it a little bit. That's why I'm bringing this up. And so God says, don't worry, don't worry. I'm gonna deal with the Babylonians for what they do, for their idolatry, for their oppression, for the way that they misuse what they've been given, 
for the way that their kings abuse other people for their violence, they're gonna be destroyed too. That's what chapter two is about, the indictment against the Babylons and him saying to Habakkuk, don't worry, I'm not just raising them up and I'm gonna bless them for all of this. I'm raising them up to reprove you, my children, because y'all are in a bad, bad place and you need to be shaken a little bit. But they are gonna be wiped out. They're gonna be wiped from the face of the planet for their violence. And then, chapter three, how does Habakkuk respond to that? How do you grapple with that? How do you think about that? How do you understand a God like that? What do we think about that, right? So I wanna read chapter three and then I wanna explain this. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. This next part is just him talking about all the things that he's seen God do in the past for his people. God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction and the curtains of the land of Midian trembled. Was your wrath against the river? O Lord, was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me. Rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And then... Here's this most powerful part. So there's so much poetry, so much poetry. It's this God of creation and this God who is a warrior, who is coming to set all things right, who will act on behalf of his people and who will save his people. So you have this creator warrior God that is so poetically being explained by Habakkuk, right? So this is what he says. This is Habakkuk's response to that dialogue and God's explanation that everything that he knows is about to be ripped from him. Everything that he finds comfort in is about to be destroyed. Everything is about to change. All of his expectations about the future are about to be dashed. 
And this is his response, right? Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. This Habakkuk is the epitome in my mind of what it looks like to follow, follow our God. One thing we have to understand when we look at the life of Jesus and then we look at the life of the followers of Jesus, let me put it this way. Uh, uh, when, you, when, I, when you step out of our shower, there's a little sign that Kirsten made for us that says, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Right? It's that song, that hill song, hill song song. She made this nice little poster of it. And I get out of the shower and I'm like, that's really nice. I do want that. Uh, what I've learned through looking at the life of the people of God and looking at the life of Jesus himself, so Jesus was not absent from this, that if you really desire to follow God, you really desire to follow the life of Jesus and become a disciple of Jesus, and you really desire those sorts of things, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. You are going to walk through the path of pain and joy on the road to a cross where you lose everything for the sake of following God, okay? If you want to follow the Lord, what following the Lord is like, Habakkuk is the epitome of it. Job, the first book ever written, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? So beyond my expectations of what's going to make me happy and what life is going to be like is the Lord who is leading and saying, follow me through this path of pain and stripping the sin from your life and stripping it down where joy is wrapped up in it because you're getting more of him and less of the tyranny of your own self on the road to a cross. That's why he told his disciples, just pick up your cross and follow me. This is the epitome of what it looks like for us to follow the Lord. We have a faithful God, a good God, who loves and provides all that his sheep and his people need, and he has made promises to those ends. But we build our expectations around other things. We build our life around other things, and he loves us to the degree that he is going to walk us out through a path that will be full of pain and full of joy on the road to a cross. We need to grab hold of that. 
We have to grab hold of that. How do we grab hold of that? How is it that Habakkuk responds in this way? Could you respond in that way? What's the greatest expectation that's been exploded in your life? Where you looked at God and said, I hate you right now for doing that. Can you, can, can we as a people take a step into something more than, something deeper than, something thicker and more rich than, than a flat picture of God? of a God who desperately loves justice and mercy and desires the best for his children, who's gonna walk us through difficulty in our life and be with us the whole time. How is it that Habakkuk responds with that sort of maturity, that sort of depth, that sort of reality to his life? That it wasn't like, screw you, man. You just blew everything up. How is it? He knows and recognizes who God is, and so he trusts what God says. That first part of chapter three is him saying, I like, don't get you. You can do anything you want. You can do all things. The everlasting hills run from you, right? He's just painting this picture of this God who sees all and knows all and holds all things in his hands to which you can't cry out and say, you're in the wrong and I'm in the right. You you missed something and you've wronged me. Everything we have, the breath we breathe has all been given. We stand in no place. That's what he's saying. I stand in no place to even look at you and talk about any sort of wrong that could be done. You breathed everything into creation. You govern the rise and fall of nations. You put kings in their place. So he just recognizes him, and he's like, remember mercy in your wrath, and I believe that you're going to save your people. So God had made promises to the nation of Israel that he was going to punish them, but the punishment was to refine them, to drive out the wickedness of them sacrificing their children to trees and them oppressing the poor. I'm gonna drive that out. I'm gonna give you a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. I'm going to meet you and I'm going to alter the world through you. And so what he's saying here is, I don't get you but I do trust you, so do what you will. Even if there's no blossoms on the fig tree, even if there's no herd in the stalls, if I've got nothing to eat and they roll through here and destroy everything, even still, I praise you, I praise you. He knew his God and he believed what his God said. And so I just wanted to highlight that tonight because I think we're in this place 
um, where we need to do this in so many different ways. We need to do this in so many different ways. We need to recognize who our God is and we need to trust him. We need to recognize who he is and believe him. We need to do this all so many ways in, in different ways. So like Joe said, some of you might have had a terrible break. I know a lot of you go home and your home is not supportive. It's a little crazy. You got a little bit of a crazy family. And for so many reasons, you just go home. You don't like who you are when you're at home. You don't like the way you are with your family. You want to be a light and you just can't be a light because you just get so mad at your parents or you get so mad at your siblings or something right? Or you're around some really solid believers here and they really hold you to the line and you don't really walk in sin too much, but back home you did. And so you go back home and you get sort of get caught up in the things you let go of a while back and you just sort of get dragged into it and you feel far from the Lord and you don't know how to reconnect with him. That the break wasn't what you expected it to be when you left for the break a month and a half ago. Some of you are looking at the future. This is the last semester. You're about to graduate. You're about to move on. You have no clue where life is going to go. You have no clue what happens after you leave this place. You have no clue about how you've been preparing for the last 22 years for the working world, and you have no idea how that's going to play out. Not a clue. Or you've built expectations about it, and you've already begun to frame it in, but something last semester happened that just blew it up. And so you're in this place of like, I don't know, whatever you want to do. Or it was blown up last semester and you started scrambling for something you could cling to, some sort of safety that you could build your future around, another relationship, something that you could build it around. So we have all these things going on and we've all got things going on that we need to stop. If you feel far from the Lord, if you feel dirty when you come to the Lord, you need to stop. And so we've carved out some time. We're just gonna sing several more worship songs. That's why we didn't do a lot up front. We're gonna sing several more worship songs. We're gonna have the prayer team up here. I, I would almost rather you pray with each other than the prayer team, but I love the prayer team. I want them to be able to be up here in case you don't know who to pray with. And I want you to come and, and, and this is what I want to take time to do, to reflect on who the Lord is as we sing and as we worship, and then come and with the people that we are, that we are in community with or with the prayer team, we need to confess that we believe some things. If you're feeling dirty or something about what happened over the break, I don't want that to linger over you over the course of this whole semester. I want you to take time and with the power of the gospel come and say, I don't like what happened there. I believe the blood of Jesus covers it and I'm moving forward as if my God loves me. He's going to provide for me. He's going to lead me and he's already forgiven me. So I'm moving forward, Father, as if that's already taken place. So I want to confess that to you and I want to walk in the light, right? Or... I don't know what's going to happen next semester, and I don't want to be sitting here in fear for the whole semester, making sure I make a 100 on every single thing that I do, and I'm just all anxious about every test, because I don't trust that you're going to lead, I don't trust that you're going to provide, and that I've got the weight of the world, I've got the weight of the future on my back, and I need to come to you, Father, and say, I believe you're a shepherd, and I'm a sheep, and that when you lead me, you're going to lead me in ways that are easy and difficult and wherever you're going to go I trust you because you're a shepherd and I'm a sheep 
We need to come and we need to say and verbally express these things to each other, to the prayer team, but we can't just walk around with notions that God's good, yeah, I think he forgives me, yeah. Or I hope, he, I hope he leads, you know. We need to come and say, Father, I believe that you are going to lead and you're going to guide and it's your responsibility to guide my future. It's not mine. And so I'm going to be diligent on these tests, but it's in your hands. And if everything crumbles, I'll praise your name and I'll move forward. I'll move forward, right? We need to come and not let go of expectations, but let go of the lie that our expectations are actually best. We need to come and let go of some of those things so that we can enter into this semester knowing that our Father loves us, knowing that he'll lead, and releasing a lot. That's what we mean when we say releasing. You carry around so much stuff. I carry around so much stuff. And we've got to take time to verbally say, Father, I believe this about you. I believe the blood of Jesus covers me, and I want to walk away from that now. I believe you're good and that you're going to lead, and so I'll walk away from that now. That's on your back, not on mine. And wherever it goes, I'm down. Let's do that. So I just want to carve out some time. It's the beginning of the semester. We're going to sing four more songs, and I just want to give you guys some time to do that, to lay things that need to be laid down in front of the Lord and to walk away filled by his spirit, empowered to do all that he's going to call you to do this semester, not walking in fear, not walking in anxiety, not walking in crap, but walking in the power of Jesus' name. That's what we're trying to do, you know, for the advance of his kingdom and for our good and for his glory. Yeah, so I'm going to pray for us, but I want to take time, time, time to do that. We need to do that and enter the semester strong.